Welcome to episode four of Behind the Mosaic. I'm your host, Dawn Marie Zimmerman. Today, we continue our exploration of mosaic as a healing art with an artist whose passions for color, pattern, and travel have fueled a prolific career of mosaic making, community engagement, and public art. Today, I chat with New Orleans-based artist, Laurel True. Laurel True is an artist and educator specializing in creative placemaking. Over the past 25 years, she has designed, created, and facilitated hundreds of projects for hospitals, parks, commercial, residential, and public spaces throughout the United States, as well as in Africa, Europe, Latin America, Turkey, and Haiti. In addition to running a professional production studio, Laurel is the founding director of the Global Mosaic Project, which provides art education and entrepreneurial training to underserved communities in urban and developing areas. Laurel co-founded the Institute of Mosaic Art in Oakland, California, a pioneering mosaic education and resource center and continues to foster education in the mosaic arts through teaching and lecturing around the world. I first met Laurel in 2003 at the second annual SAMA conference that was held in Miami, Florida. And I think in all of this time that I've known Laurel and worked with her through SAMA programs like the conference as a presenter and instructor and then staged her work in Mosaic Arts International, this was the first time I think we ever had an uninterrupted conversation. So it was a real treat for me. And we start things off like I do with most of our episodes at the beginning. What was that? as she puts it, Shazam moment where she knew Mosaic was the thing. Well, welcome to Behind the Mosaic. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thanks Thanks for having me. Um, We've been starting, let's see, we've been starting a lot of these conversations with kind of connecting the dots back to when the time when you first discovered mosaic. And for some people that was, you know, a distant memory from the childhood. And for some people, it was a very clear moment where mosaic came into their life in the midst of a completely unrelated conversation (laughs) or Mm -hmm. educational experience or something. So I'm curious what, um, if you have a memory of when you first engaged with or, witnessed, experienced a mosaic as, you know, quote unquote, mosaic as we (laughs) all kind of use it now. As we know it. I was, I was thinking about that and I, 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 my first memory of experiencing a mosaic and thinking that that is a cohesive thing. I don't know if I even thought that's called a mosaic is seeing Isaiah Zagar's work um, in Philadelphia (laughs) In 1990, I was just finishing college and I went on a trip and I saw his work. Um, And that is my like that was a real Shazam moment for me. And it's my first memory (laughs) of uh, experiencing a mosaic. Literally, I did experience it, but I was already using materials that we would commonly think of as mosaic you know, uh, media. Right. So I was already doing a lot of mixed media work. I came from a background of doing uh, uh, work with textiles and uh, mixed media and assemblage. And I was using a lot of glass and mirror um, already 
already in my work. And that's one of the things that I found so compelling about Isaiah's work is that um, he was using those kinds of materials, but in an architectural fashion. The first piece of his I saw was a ceiling and a wall very high up. Um, and that's what um, that's what sticks in my mind as my first real memory of having an experience. Mm, okay. Well, dial back for me a little bit back to college, back before that point, because you have a BA in African studies, and I know you studied um, textiles as well. How did the that all come together leading up to, like, to me, it sounds like there was a groundwork laid um, before that Shazam moment. Mm, yes, there was. Um, I, I've always been interested in patterns and um, iconography and, and um, very strong kind of vibe with symbols. And um, and I was using textiles as an artistic medium. I did design clothing, but then I had all these scraps left over from these clothing line that I had designed and had produced in um, Senegal. And um, I started using them in different ways and kind of piecing them together. And so I kind of think that my first experience with mosaic was more about the piecework mm, and not okay. so much about the medium. Mm -hmm. Although I did really love the, you know, the bling, the mirror and, and glass. <laughs> that was amazing. And I, I think when I was really thinking about this question, the first mosaic I ever made, which I would look at today and say, okay, that's a mosaic-ish, um, <laughs> was with stained glass, gluing stained glass onto window panes. I went through, <laughs> I think that was sort of like my first sort of phase. I have this, I don't even know, I, I did it for my twin sister. It was two birds kind of facing in opposite directions, ready to like go off into their lives. And um and it was a small thing. I really liked the the play of light and how light came through the window. And so I think my really, really first mosaics um, were the mixed media and then using glass on glass. Were you and your twin sister both real artsy kids? Um, I was a really artsy kid, um, but she was not. She always was like nose in a book and um, like, <laughs> okay. yeah, nose in a book, basically. Uh -huh. And I was, you know, making things all the time. <laughs> so um, <laughs> we are very different. We have very different personalities. Um, but I was I, I have this autobiography that I can't believe my mom actually saved it or maybe I just salvaged it. But um I wrote it when I was nine, you know, so I had a real long, rich life to write about. Mm -hmm. But the last line <laughs> was, when I grow up, I want to be an artist. So I really, uh, I, you know, I've been a creative person and, and knowing that I needed to make things from a very young age. I think I declared myself an artist about the same age. I just decided <laughs> you know? that all the baby dolls needed to leave the playhouse <laughs> and it was now the studio. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's and my great. sister had to deal with all of her baby doll stuff out in the yard. And I am an artist now. And I had all my paint by number, my oil painting paint by number sets. And I would set them up. I think it was about eight or nine as well. That's when I That's <laughs> when I still put my stake in the ground then. So I'm curious, though, with all the making and um, 
where did the interest in African studies, because it, it seems like the, the parallel between, and this is something else I've been doing with the podcast is finding the parallels between worlds that us as Mm -hmm. artists tend to live in. There's, there's always Mm -hmm. the art, but then there's always some other aspect to our lives um, Mm -hmm. that we draw from. And you have a very, um, rich background in crossing cultures, exploring other countries. Um, And so I'm curious how that all, you know, if we move back up the timeline a little bit back to when you um, were introduced to the work of Isaiah Zagar, how did things kind of flow from your intercultural studies and manifesting into this multimedia textural exploration? Okay. Wow. That's such a big question. Um, let me see. <laughs> let me see. So um, one of the reasons I majored in African studies is because I was so interested in the curriculum that was being offered at my university, which was University of Wisconsin. Okay. Um, although they didn't have a major in African studies, I seemed to never be able to fit into any box. So I'm, I had an individual major that I made up and of uh, courses that were very interesting to me. And, and I was really, really obsessed with African textiles as a teen. Um, mm, okay. And I really, I don't know how I got so obsessed with them. I mean, I must have seen photos. I remember checking all these books out of the library all the time. And I knew a lot about West African textiles specifically um, by the time I you know, went to college. I actually wanted to major in that. And they, and they were like, well, we don't have that here. So you can't major in African textiles. But what I did was I started taking a lot of elective classes. Um, and then I would kind of, if there was a project or some kind of paper or some research thing, I would always, you know, uh, tweak it and work with um, something that had to do with the arts or um, symbolism of the arts or textiles. So I guess that is one piece of it that kind of is a thread that goes through everything. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I just, I love pattern and color. And I know a lot of mosaic artists and a lot of people in general really respond to that. And I think I, I um, have always just had a real like like brain brain chemistry response to very rich and dynamic, you know, uh, patterning and colors. And so I think um, I think it was sort of when I saw Isaiah's work and all of that collage kind of mixed media work that he does. It was really I was kind of responding to something similar there, um, mm-hmm. just a very rich, um, sort of intuitive response to this pattern and color and, uh, and light. So, um, I don't know if that answered the question. No, I think it does. I mean, but, it sounds like the, your, your interest in, and the parallels are between the, the African textiles, which are, have all of those same elements. Um, and you found a way to integrate that, um, experience that visceral experience you have as a viewer of those textiles into a practical experience in creating mosaics that I think create a much similar visceral experience for viewers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I think it's Mm -hmm. interesting. It's it's, so I I like that, you know, for me, it connects the dots. (laughs) I think what I was going for. (laughs) It is like life is a big mosaic. I mean, that's such an obvious metaphor. I mean, sometimes you don't know what you're doing when you're doing it. I mean, I had no plan when I was 17 years old. Um, 
But then looking back, of course, in retrospect, all these pieces are fitting together in a certain kind of a way. And you can see these threads of continuity. True. Another parallel for you is your activism. And I'm curious if that comes from those studies or just a general love of travel and love of exploring, because as you said, you do kind of, you've blazed your own path in many ways. Um, Mm -hmm. Does the activism come from that experience of going out and exploring the sources of textiles and the cultures that create them? Hmm. Well, I think I've always been interested in how other people live. Well, mm-hmm. from a very young age, I was really interested in other cultures, whether it be, you know, European fashion magazines that my mom would bring home for me. She worked in the fashion, fashion industry, or it would be, you know, something about African textiles, or it would be cave painting from France or, you know, something. Um, I've always been very, very curious about how other people live and what was going on out there in the world. And um, I, I very much wanted to explore that and, uh, and experience uh, other places, other people. Um, and so I started traveling kind of young. I went to Africa for the first time when I was 19 on a volunteer program. And, uh, but it, I love every place I've ever been. It's just an interesting <laughs> Uh, study for me. And and certainly people all over the world have very, very different situations. And I would say um, I've always been um, kind of an empath and and very keyed into, um, you know, inequity and and where, you know, where things seem like they're just not going right or, you know, things seem amiss. Um, And so, you know, for me and my work, I, I, I guess I do consider myself a, an arts activist, although um, most of my work is not overtly political, mm-hmm. um, um, although, you know, they have that, that saying that the personal is political. And I really, really believe that. And, and I believe that people's dignity and well-being should be forefronted in, in every situation and, and equitably. And I, and I feel like my travels from a young age and my interest in the world around me um, was uh, an integral part of of my being able to, um, I guess, understand that um, social justice comes uh, uh, is a very, very, very personal and uh, it's a very elemental thing for people. That that leads me to thinking about your collaborations. And, and I was reminded of talking with Sherry in the podcast in episode two, where we talked a lot about the, the politics and the uh, strategies around creative collaboration. Mm-hmm. And so when I think of cl- creative collaboration, the work that you do kind of blows my mind because you're navigating not only your artistic vision for a project, but you are working in um, cultures outside of your own. You are working mm-hmm. in countries outside of your own, in situations mm-hmm. where there are economic, political, cultural borders and, you know, rules and regulations and things that you're navigating on top of every, you know, on top mm-hmm. of the simple, you know, which it 
after thinking about all of that, the the artistic vision and managing that seems so simple <laughs> to me. <laughs> after having gone lot, through all of <laughs> everything that you have to navigate just to get to the part where you get to teach them how to make things. <laughs> oh right, I know this is it. When I'm when I'm, I'm putting together this book and. It, you know about um, community projects and and really uh, you know finally on chapter what uh, you know gets to the teaching how to do it there's all of these <laughs> things that do play into it and um and you know i guess i really just work well in um situations that maybe some people would think were or, um, you know, untenable or, you mm-hmm. know, uh, stressful. Or, I'm not that I don't get stressed out. I, I certainly do. But I really like working with populations, whether that be in this country or another country that might not have access to art education or might not have access to an experience of making some beautiful art, you know, um, architectural mural or, or a permanent structure for their community. So, I mean, I love how Mosaic w- combines community, you know, involvement, community engagement, creative placemaking, let, allowing people to express themselves in a sort of a maker way, um, mm-hmm. creatively, um, with other people and community. I just find all of that is really stimulating and exciting. And, and um, I think the since I've been doing these community projects for so many years, like 25 years now, I don't really get uh, overwhelmed in terms of, oh, how's it going to go? What's going to happen on the ground? I've never been there before. I don't speak the language. Those kinds of things don't really freak me out because I know that it, those things will be dealt with, like that it will work out. Um, and I don't have like an airy fairy kind of, you know, approach to things either. I'm, I'm very organized and, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes methodical, but I always uh, have a I'm able to let things change, I guess. Um, and I and I think that's why I don't get too bunched up when working in, in places that are, are rough or don't have much access to materials or um, have been, you know, experienced some kind of disaster, whether that be political or, or a natural disaster or whatever. Um, but yeah, there is a lot that goes into it. And, and uh, I like to keep an artistic vision for each piece, but every project is different. And mm-hmm. it's not always appropriate for me to be super... Um, attached to an artistic vision sometimes yes and sometimes no and then there's all this stuff in between as well so you have a a very well honed and hard-earned comfort with discomfort would you say kind of yeah (laughs) kind of I don't know that's that's well said I mean yeah I I guess um I don't shy away from adversity I I Mm -hmm. think I have a certain kind of curiosity about things and um and yeah it doesn't uh it doesn't deter me now that's not to say I want to put myself in physical danger right 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 I don't I don't do that. Uh, you know, I don't think, I don't think I do. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I have other, although that I guess could be up for discussion. Depends on who you're talking to. Uh, but well, anyways. <laughs> and to put it, to put it all into context, let's talk about um, the uh, urbanized project. Okay. okay um, I love just as project. kind of an example to kind of wrap all this theory around. So um this is a project, from what I understand, it has several different components or different aspects to it. Um, we're yeah. featuring one aspect in Mosaic Arts International 2018, um, the mural Woman Hold Up the World. 
Um, But there's other aspects. There is other components to it, too. You want to talk a little bit about that? Just for people that may not know about it. I I realize like I'm like a professional plate spinner, which I know a lot of us are, (laughs) maybe everybody. But for some reason, I have to make these projects like super complex with all these different facets and all these plates spinning within the spinning plate of the project. Um, I guess I find that stimulating. And I also really like how um, when there's a project that has all these different facets or phases, you can bring in so many different people, you know, whether it's Mm -hmm. on for um, contributing to design, contributing to making, contributing ideas, contributing to the concept, uh, just contributing to like, you know, they, they, you know, applaud us on the street or something like that. I think uh, there's something about bringing all these parts together in these multifaceted projects that is got that mosaic metaphor, but it also just brings more people um, into the experience. And so like with the Urban Eyes project, I mean, that was sparked because after um, the project in Chile, the um, mosaic intervention that Isadora uh, Lopez had organized. There were yes. all these artists, like 80 of us, and we had such a great time um, on that project. And it was wonderful for me because I wasn't, you know, in charge of anything. And I <laughs> was able to have this observer, you know, I was like a participant observer, which was really great. And um, I saw there was like a sadness. I mean, for all of us at the end, it was a very intense experience. And I thought, you know, it'd be really cool is for for us to be able to do some kind of a remote thing together. And that's when I sent the call out to people um, who were involved in that project to contribute a mosaic eye to um, a mural project that I wanted to do that um, investigated awareness and perception and and, uh, different levels and symbols of the eyes, um, which is really one of those stories that does run through my work but um i got a um the the call which was very informal went totally viral and so all these artists started contributing eyes i got um 600 eyes from oh, wow. uh, i think like 33 countries and so it was no longer one small project and and so then it was a multi-project project, but also within that, there were people who contributed eyes from all over the world. And then there were community members that I invited to my studio here in New Orleans to make um, eyes. And then I engaged other community members in New Orleans to actually uh, create the mural physically. So there was a lot of cool dynamics going on. And then we did it like on the side of a building and there was an empty lot there. And, you know, I had a bunch of pop-up, you know, music things and we would have like parties. And it was like, I got this <laughs> pop-up tent and I just was like, I gotta, gotta use this pop-up tent as much <laughs> as possible. And I, and I love the whole like transforming this like, you know, crappy empty lot into, um, into a really amazing uh, maker space, but also a space of uh, um, community gathering. You know, that's cool uh, for me. Yeah. And so the the mural that is in Haiti, um, mm-hmm. that was also a, an aspect or a use of the eyes, but it was also to commemorate or bring awareness to the role that women play in Haiti and in the world and yes. celebrating empowered and, um, sorry, celebrating empowerment, pride and equality. Um, and it's an incredibly beautiful piece. So I can't wait to share oh, that with you. everyone. Thank you. I love that project. That was the first, cause I've been working in Jacmel with this, um, 
kids organization, Art Creation Foundation for Children, for eight years now. And that was the first project that I did just with girls and young women. It was so cool. And um, the first Urban Eyes project was in New Orleans, as I mentioned. We used mm-hmm. probably about 100 of those eyes. And then about 100, maybe a little less, more um, down in Jockmel. And it was so great to see the girls that I was working with who, you know, been learning mosaics with me for many, many years, unwrapping these eyes. And, you know, the styles that people worked in, you know, were amazingly diverse. And as students of mosaic, it was really cool to see them uh, look and, you know, look and see how people did it, what mediums people put together. Um, it was it was wonderful. I would um, think that would be really because for them, their only experience was with each other and with you. And so you had brought the physical experience of other artists to them through each of these eyes. I bet it was an incredible experience to see them yeah. <laughs> look at mosaic in a yeah. whole new way. Oh yeah, and I hope that other mosaic artists will will come down there and work with the with the with these young people because it would be great and it is great for them to get uh, a whole you know range of different um, experience and and uh, be exposed to all these different styles and people's approaches and visions and philosophies etc. Mm-hmm. And this is through the Art Creation Foundation for Children. Mm-hmm. Which and is this now is... morphing into a. Uh, um, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to. No, that's okay. You. I was just. I'm trying to keep the the organization straight. I want to make sure I credit them. Well, that organization is morphing now into an organization called Jacmel Mosaic uh, Children's Art Center. So it'll be uh, specifically art only focused. And um, and I'm really excited. I'm about to go to Haiti uh, day after tomorrow uh, to work um, with that uh, with those uh, kids during the transition um, into uh, sort of a new, uh, I guess is a new phase for the organization. How much, how much time a year do you spend in Haiti then? Well, I mean, it depends on the year actually. Um, I was going a lot in like 2012 and 13 and 14. Um, and like maybe once every six weeks, once every eight weeks, um, multiple times a year. And now I go, I don't know. It's just, two or three times a year, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, it just depends on, um, on my schedule and, you know, what we got cooking or um, what seems to come up. Um, so it's not really a set amount of time. It's just, it, it varies. That's the answer. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing I wanted to talk to you about were um, the materials. And I mean, we talked a little bit about your first love of textiles and, I think I had mentioned to you, when I think of your work, I, I, the mirror always stands out because it's not, it's, it's, it always seems like a very intentional use where mirror is placed within Mm -hmm. your work. And so I, I was curious if you have a, um, like a, a, either a thematic or ideologic meaning behind the Uh use of mirror, or is it just the, the extra bling um, that it, that it provides or is, is it, you know, has that evolved over the years? Did it start out as playing and then now has more of a meaning to you? Uh, wow. That's so interesting. I don't think it was really that linear, which is sort of ironic because I'd use a lot of lines <laughs> with mosaic, um, or with mirror, uh, rather, but, um, 
you know, I don't necessarily have a mirror strategy, you know, that, mm-hmm. that I uh, always work with, although I always use mirror. I, I love mirror. And um, I mean, it's got all these inherent, you know, metaphors with the reflection and the and then the play of light and how it moves and how it makes the, you know, a piece look alive. And if you actually look at yourself in a piece of mirror, you see yourself reflected back. I mean, there's all these amazing metaphors with, um, with mirror. And I just find it um i'm just very attracted to using it i find it really compelling and, and um I, I i find that the play of light and how it, it brings movement into the pieces is, is amazing but i did work with isaiah you know spawn of isaiah and he's uh, <laughs> uh he does beautiful things with mirror and so i have to credit isaiah uh, of course for um for getting me started with that and uh and the use of mirrored lines and i later adapted that to my own style but i feel like um i mean i've done many mosaics without mirror in fact many of these pieces i've done in hospitals don't have mirror in them at all Mm -hmm. and um, it's not like i don't feel like a piece is complete without mirror it seems to be appropriate in certain times but i really do gravitate towards adding uh that element into um, a mixed media piece or just doing an entire piece with mirror i mean that's that's um i don't know i think it's kind of cosmic mirror Mm -hmm. oh i i do too there can be technical challenges with it especially in the exterior work do you have you found a way to work around a lot of those or is that a concern of yours yeah i mean um with the desilvering yeah i mean and and how it uh, holds up you know i am i'm a stickler for technique in many cases uh you know in my own conceptual work i might work uh, on purpose with mirror that's deteriorating um (laughs) but uh because i think that's interesting you know conceptually that sort of deterioration but you don't want to have that on a public art piece on the side of you know a building in your city um and so i do use you know best technical practices when i'm approaching using mirror um, for an architectural piece, you know, and there are some conditions, uh, especially when I'm not in control of the conditions around me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm never totally in control of conditions yeah. around me, but say <laughs> I'm in, you know, you, <laughs> mirror will desilver, for example, quicker if it's uh, exposed to sea air and salt air, mm-hmm. you know, and so okay. in that, in that case, um, for instance, um, on some of the first murals I did in, in Jacmel, Haiti, with the kids that I was working with, um, we saw desilvering very early. And I said, OK, so this is happening. And uh, plus, you can't choose what kind of mirror you use down there. I mean, when yeah. I'm in the States, and I have all these choices. I'll make a, uh, a choice and then I'll use a specific sealer on the back, et cetera. But I said, so this is desilvering and it looks, you know, you know, whatever. I don't know. I didn't think it looked crappy. I thought it looked it's still cool enough uh, to maybe keep using it. But I put it out to the teens that I was working with. I said, we can either stop using this mirror because look at what's happening to it, or we can just continue and live with the fact that there's some desilvering and they all voted to keep it. And (laughs) so, um, you know, we just kept doing it. It wasn't like we're never going to use mirror there anymore. Um, It's a a case by case situation. That's the thing is like you can't apply the same kind of strategy to, you know, uh, maybe a renegade community project with low resources and, you know, uh, to something that's, you know, you're doing the pavement at the mall or something, you know, you have to. uh, Well, and I'm curious, too, um, that leads into asking about 
materials that you choose for environments that are in healing spaces. At the conference mm. in Boston, you're going to do a presentation called Mosaic Art with Public Health, uh, Mosaic yeah. Art and Public Health. And you're going to talk a little bit about creating art for healing spaces and your relationship with the um, Boston-based public health organization, Partners in Health. And so I'm curious have the materials part of this conversation lead into a little bit about that because there right. there are different needs and specifications depending on the installation but here we're also playing into a very mindful intent to create something um that evokes a healing environment when mm-hmm. how, how mm-hmm. does that play in with you when you're designing and choosing, choosing your materials. materials? Yeah. Um, well, I, in the, in the work that I have done specifically in, um, the hospital that partners in health, um, built after the earthquake, which is, um, Hopital Universitaire de Mirabelle, which is Mirabelle hospital basically in English. Um, I wasn't trying to bling it all up. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I usually don't come in with an, a personal agenda. Like, let me put a mural of my trippy dream on the wall of the <laughs> hospital. You know, like that's not so appropriate. It's more like, what can we do that people will respond to that will that will make people feel at ease? And I know I'm talking about content more than materials. But to me, it's all, you know, it's all kind of t- together. Um, I think so with mosaic, what, it definitely is the content and the materials yeah. are inform each other. So that's, that's for why I was sure. interested in, in your thought process behind that. Yeah. I mean, for a lot, a lot of architectural projects, I gravitate towards tile. I mean, it's just, it's clean, it's slick, it's an architectural material, not to say glass is not architectural, but that's just my style. If I'm doing larger scale work, um, I usually use tile and, uh, those bright saturated colors are great. Um, especially in the, uh, you know, pediatric wards that I've worked in before, but also, um, I use that stuff whenever I work in a public health care, um, environment because it's got um it's got a clean look but it's also it's dynamic at the same time as as soothing now this depends on the design but um i like the architectural work that i do to really feel and look like it's integrated with the architecture you know Mm, and not necessarily have something that looks like a foreign object like some mirror blinged out ufo came down into the whatever you know something that will not be jarring for people because if you're in the hospital whether you're a patient or a visitor or you know it's traumatic to be there you know in the first um, place yeah in the first place yeah i mean and so having something, A, that people relate to, um, I mean, I've seen so much public art uh, in my life that, um, that would, would inspire a question such as, what is that? Or I don't get it or something <laughs> like that. I never want my work to have that response. I, I would rather someone feel it in their chest or feel it in their body when they look at it. And, um, and so that's really what I, I hope to evoke. And in terms of um, how people respond visually to um, a piece, I also like to have this sort of multifaceted thing going on uh, whenever I can. So that, for instance, um, I worked with this group of guys, who amazing guys in Mirabole, who I trained um, when I uh, worked first with Partners in Health. And uh, we did um, a bunch of murals and 
for this hospital that um, Partners in Health built. And they did a rehabilitation ward like a few years into it. And um, I really wanted, we did that. We did like 12 projects in that rehab ward. And we did, I think, 18 projects in the pediatric ward. But I wanted the artwork to be visible to every single person in every part of those wards. You know, like for instance, a uh, okay. kid in a bed in the peds ward could like look up and, and, and their eye could go all around everywhere and they would see continually see a mosaic somewhere like surround sound, but surround visuals mm-hmm. um, instead of just having like one wall as a mural. I like to spread things out sometimes so that, mm-hmm. um, and especially in a healthcare setting, um, so that people have more, more to look at um, and they can see different things or, you know, it's it, there's a dynamic there because their eyes can move around. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And I think, you know, in, especially in a healing environment, that could be an, a uh, a strategic distraction. <laughs> the, exactly. You know, right? there's the, the trauma, there's enough of a trauma, but if you have to sit there and think about why you're there, when you could sit there and kind of look for the story and the beautiful artwork mm-hmm. that's on the walls, um, mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. you know, just uh, trace the design of a flower with your eyes to not have to think about what's happening to you physically in that environment, I think is, is important. And so I think that's what makes this kind of work very, very important. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. I do agree. One thing too, there was a kind of a funny story at the, um, hospital, um, is that I was going to, um, design, um, the mosaic to not have backgrounds because I thought we could do more, um, if we didn't have to deal with the backgrounds. And then it turned out that um, there had been a giant uh, pa- a pallet of white tile that had been donated, I think by Doll Tile, and it went for the bathrooms and, you know, to be used in the hospital. And it was extra. And it was outside by the, in the construction area, just sort of like melting there. You know, the boxes were yeah. getting wet in the rain. And I was like, why don't we use that? That seems great. Cause normally I don't gravitate towards white bathroom tile for my work. But in this case, we put these white backgrounds around everything and it was so perfect in that setting. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's an example. I probably would never use, you know, shiny white bathroom tile in other pieces, but in this healthcare setting in particular, it was perfect. So now I'm curious, after talking about all these larger scale projects, is do you find now at this point in your career it to be challenging to work on smaller scale work? Is there like a mind shift that you have a hard Mm -hmm. time with or do you enjoy setting aside time to work on a smaller, you know? You mean like for my own personal work? Yeah, for your personal work. Yeah. Oh, I love working on small things. I really do. Um I, I, what I love to do is be able to set that time aside. If I have that time mm-hmm. and I can carve that time out, um, I, I love working on tiny little things or not. I mean, I guess tiny is relative also. I'm yeah. not, I'm really not into micro mosaics. I'm not using like latte and like tweezers and stuff. No, no, but you know, something, something small. Um, well, you know, I'm even whatever. thinking four by four feet would be small for you. Four by four? Yeah, great. I would love to do four by fours all the time. That sounds super fun. (laughs) It does. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have to. I mean, I'm known for working large, right? Mm-hmm. But um, and I like it, and I don't shy away from it. Um, but it's not doesn't define my, you know, artistic process or, you know, the way that I need to express myself creatively. It's just one of the things that I do. So we've established you have comfort with discomfort and you like to work outside of the box and especially not follow a uh, pre-described, a predetermined academic <laughs> program and create one on your own. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> how is... I know, I sound like a problem child, don't I? No, I, well, it, some, of, some of the histories, you know, most innovative people were considered problem children. And that's not... The, what I'm trying to get at is um, where, where, what is undiscovered for you? Where is oh. an unventured arena... And uh-huh. would it involve mosaic that you see yourself one day when you do have the time um, <laughs> exploring? Right. Well, I'm already exploring other things um, outside of mosaic. And, and I have to say, I'm not a mosaic purist um, at all. Mm-hmm. I feel like mosaic is a great it's a great technique. And, and uh, there are great media mediums that can be used in a mosaic kind of style. But um, I'm not. I'm not a purist it's um, at all. And I like mm-hmm. to play with the concepts around uh, permanence and impermanence and beauty and, and ugliness and juxtaposing these sort of dualistic concepts. And I, and I really like doing that in, um, in my personal work um, and moving away from things that are more predictable um, um, and sort of straightforward, I guess I would say. I'm, I'm doing a lot of iterative work lately. I've been really interested in street art. I've been doing a lot of um, like paper paste-ups. I've been doing a lot of collage that combines photography and stencil and paint mm-hmm. and, um, and mosaic uh, and mirror together. And I like that layering, not only of concepts, but of media. So I guess I'm maybe kind of coming, you know, in some kind of a cycle where I'm coming back to this mixed media um, approach. Um, and that's really exciting to me. Um, to uh, to bring in more uh, painting. I'm such a geek with the stencils. I really like making stencils and uh, and co- and collaging and combining all that together. I'm, I just finished a big uh, paper mural. I'm into this whole like ephemeral mosaics, which sounds like an oxymoron, which makes it even more interesting to me. But um, <laughs> how can mosaic, you know, the oldest, most permanent art form, how can that be ephemeral? And exploring those concepts um, is is really interesting to me. So that's what I've been working on in my studio. In fact, in my studio now in New Orleans, I have no uh, large uh, public jobs. In fact, I, I did do a really cool job offsite um, that I just finished a couple of days ago. But I'm I'm saving. My, and I don't teach in my studio anymore either. I teach somewhere else in New Orleans. So I'm kind of trying to keep my own studio space right now as a more of a, um, like a, la- a laboratory, Ooh. like an incubator space yeah. for, for some of these ideas that I'm working out. And that's super fulfilling. Well, and I'm sure the coming back around the circle, you've got all the cul- culmination of all of those experiences when you first started this journey, now informing this new sense of discovery and experiment. And I know you're writing a book, um, which is kind of a memoir 
mm-hmm. of and sorts. Stories. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a story I mean, of your stories. <laughs> I want to pass this information on. You know, I, I love seeing people that I've trained go on and train other people and send me pictures of these awesome projects they've done. It's so, so amazing. And I really would love to continue to teach um, by uh, writing books and, and manuals and training manuals and things like that. Um, so that's, that is an exciting thing for me too. And it's also um, something that gives my body a rest as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, this is physical stuff, which <laughs> is fine. You know, I'm not, you know, whatever, I'm still able and, you know, thank God. And, and I'm fine. Right. But, but, um, there's something, uh, you know, bringing things back into balance where I love writing. I love, um, I love quiet time. I love introspection. And so writing the books not only helps me integrate a lot of these experiences that have been been like layered one on top of the other for all these years, like bam, 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 bam. It helps me unpack that stuff and sort Mm -hmm. of go through it. But it also helps me to put it into language where I can offer it to other people um, as a, as a, as an aid for, for training and education. Excellent. Well, I'm excited to read it. All right. Well, there's several. I'm doing this series of project journals, which focus on specific projects because every project is different. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of stuff about troubleshooting and how the projects came to be and how they were funded and who participated. But I'm also working on a, a more nuts and boltsy book um, for facilitators uh, that's more general. And it talks a lot about, you know, stakeholders and, you know, proposals and, you know, some of the more nuts and bolts stuff that goes into um, pulling these big projects off. Because I realize I kind of I don't know. I don't do it intuitively. I've learned things from people and I've learned things from trial and error, you know, certainly. But um, I know that it can be intimidating for people to to tackle um, a community project or a large project or even if it's not large, just right. because of all those components to try to keep it straight. So um, that's another thing that I'm um, that I'm writing about right now, too. Yeah. Project management is a mosaic in and of itself. So you're you're working totally. two mosaics at once. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I said, in, you know, I very rarely actually work on the mosaic when I'm facilitating a big project. It's, mm-hmm. you know, I might show somebody something, but it's not like I'm over there, like, you know, all in my zone. Uh, no. Um, when I've, I'm doing one of these big projects, uh, it's quite the opposite. Yeah. I feel that way with the conference sometimes. It's It's my annual big mosaic because there's so many moving pieces. <laughs> right. right. You're not you're clinking glasses, enjoying it <laughs> the no. same way as everybody. No. Who has no responsibilities. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's a little different. To you because you do, you guys do a great job pulling it off. And well, the, the book that you're working on, on the, the nuts and bolts, you're going to do a little bit of a teaser in your workshop. Yes, at the conference exactly. in Boston. So anybody that's interested in, in getting, you know, some early insider info needs to insider add info. Laurel's workshop to their registration. <laughs> yeah, the workshop is kind of like an overview of the book, really, um, yeah. actually. Uh, and it'll be broken up in a similar way. It's more of a seminar. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Well, busy lady, I appreciate it so much. I I never I will never forget first meeting you in Miami in 2003 at the second SAMA conference. And yeah. we were all kind of, you know, there was only about 100 
120, 130 of us there that year. Um, But we had all kind of sort of knew each other from Yahoo and other internet presences. And then we all came together in that that one room. And then I'll never forget meeting you in Vendor Marketplace. And I think we were standing in front of Trends. Trend um, had a booth that dispensed glass tile out of like candy dispensers. I don't know if you remember this. And we were just, all of us were were (laughs) kind of in awe um, because we had never (laughs) been, you know, in a room with all of this mosaic material all at the same time. And we were candy dispensers. Yeah. (laughs) Like Pez? It was like a big Pez. It was like a big Pez. <laughs> oh, that's great. Wow, that's so great. That, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Like, very long time ago. That's so funny. I was like, what is she going to say? Were there mojitos involved? I can't well, there, there probably was, but. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I just remember us all kind of looking around and looking at each other like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's when things, you know, it was very fresh and um, and mysterious back then too. I mean, not that there's not freshness and mysteriousness now, there certainly is, but um, it was just, you know, right on the cusp of like um, some big thing about to blossom and 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 finding community and people who were interested in the same thing. Like, you know, I don't I don't know what happened. Maybe I repressed it or something, or it's somewhere in my subconscious. I don't remember the mosaic candy dispenser, <laughs> but what. Um, what a great thing to become part of the collective, you know, unconscious of the, you know, the nascency of the mosaic, you know, whatever community kind of coming together. It was very cool. Well, I appreciate you continuing with us through all these years. And I look forward to seeing you in Boston and thank you. Just Likewise. a few weeks. <laughs> it seems like just know, a right? few weeks. <laughs> right. I'm looking forward to it too. Very much. All righty. Well, I'll let you get back to work. Thank you very much. Thanks, Dawn Marie. I appreciate it. Thanks for reaching out. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Laurel as much as I did. It was great to be able to catch up with her for a little bit before her heading off on another trip to Haiti. We've put together a page on the SAMA website full of images of her work as well as some reference links. And that is linked in the show notes on SoundCloud and iTunes for this episode. For more information about the 2018 American Mosaic Summit happening in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, March 13th through the 18th and Mosaic Arts International, which is our exhibition series that opens February 15th, please visit AmericanMosaics.org. Thank you for listening. This is Dawn Marie Zimmerman.